Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 96. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them. But I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work. If I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up on all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible to make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm so pleased to have on my show today Mark Miller. He's a business leader, a best-selling author, and a communicator. He began his career with Chick-fil-A working as an hourly team member back in 1977. In 1978, he joined the corporate staff working in the warehouse and the mailroom. And since that time, he has provided leadership for corporate communications, field operations, quality and customer satisfaction, training and development. And today he serves as the vice president for the newly formed organizational effectiveness function. During that time, his time with Chick-fil-A, annual sales have grown to over $4 billion. The company has more than 1,600 restaurants in 39 states and the District of Columbia. He began writing about a decade ago. He teamed up with Ken Blanchard, co-author of The One Minute Manager, to write The Secret, What Great Leaders Know and Do. And today, almost 400,000 copies of that are in print and has been translated into more than 20 languages. Recently, I guess last year, he released The Secret of Teams, which outlined some of the key lessons learned from a 20-year study and what makes some teams outperform the rest. He also came out with Great Leaders Grow, Becoming a Leader for Life, which was released in February 2012. He's got a new book coming out in October of 2013 called The Heart of Leadership. Mark, such a thrill to have you on the show. Welcome to Those Leadership Podcast. Well, thank you, Richard. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you. Did I get all those stats right? I mean, maybe that bio was a little old, but I know Chick-fil-A has grown. Certainly, we just had to recently pop one up here in Wichita, Kansas, and I tell you, it's one of my favorite restaurants. Did I get all the stats right there? Well, thanks. Uh, Yes, sir. Those are are all pretty close. We are uh, continuing to grow, and... um, Thankful for that. Close to 1,800 restaurants today in sales of about $5 billion, but uh, order of magnitude, you got everything right. Well, great. I mean, it's a, such a great organization. Of course, I'm familiar with it. And with uh, uh, It's one of John Maxwell's favorite, and of course, with the certification program, he always speaks highly of, of Chick-fil-A. So let, tell a little bit more about yourself and how you became so passionate about leadership. Well, I think my journey goes back, as, as you referenced, I started uh, here at the corporate office about 35 years ago, and I was the 16th corporate employee. Wow. And I look back and I tell folks that we had a very sophisticated process for leadership development back in the day. I call it immersion and osmosis. (laughs) Right. And it was basically built on the premise that emerging leaders should pay attention. 
And that was actually quite easy to do when you had the opportunity to sit around the lunch table every day with with really some very gifted uh, world-class leaders. Yeah, I was there with Truett Cathy, our founder, uh, Jimmy Collins, our uh, former uh, executive vice president, our chief financial officer. I mean, it was it was a talented group of leaders, and I was just the kid working in the warehouse, but I did try to pay attention. Yeah, and um, one opportunity led to another, and that's one of the advantages of being early in an organization is. You know, oftentimes something would need to be done and they'd say, hey, let the kid do it. Yeah. And um, I was that kid. And then uh, Dan Cathy, who is Truett's son, who's our president today, he made a, a huge impact on my life and my leadership many, many years ago when he convinced me that our capacity to grow would determine our capacity to lead. Mm. And I just kind of bought that. Um, interesting. I was sharing that with somebody just recently and they said, well, that's probably easy for you because you're probably a learner. I think they were referencing the, uh, the strength finders, uh, nomenclature, you know, where one of those strengths that many people possess is that of a learner. And I said, no, actually learner is not in my top 10. And they said, well, you act like a learner. And I said, well, I've learned to learn. Mm. And that was a conscious choice that I made because, again, Dan convinced me over three decades ago is that is the single greatest determining factor in your capacity to lead. What is your capacity to grow? And so it's just a journey I jumped on a long time ago, and I'm, I'm still still learning every day. You know, that's great. I love that. It's kind of along the same lines of and, – and I've kind of grown into this and learned this too. When I first kind of really started dipping my foot in the leadership pool, I didn't consciously think about it. But it, it really is true to your point that you're only as successful as your ability to lead. And you're talking about growth too. And, and I'm kind of equating growth and success in that kind of same – you know, as synonymous, synonymous there. But uh, you're limited. If you don't – and that's all aspects of life. And you're just talking about business. But whatever you're trying to – manage or lead or vision, whether it's your family, yourself, your organization, your leadership ability is going to put a cap on how successful you are at that at that level, right? Yes. Yes. And I think we both heard John Maxwell talk a lot about that, uh, that, that we are the lid on yep. whatever it is we're trying to lead. So uh, if I can raise my level of leadership, that increases the chances that I can raise the level of impact and effectiveness of whatever it is I'm trying to lead. Yeah. You know, I'm curious because of the restaurant business, I've always been kind of fascinated by that. Uh, when you think about entrepreneurs in the United States, you always tend to go back to those uh, fast food chains. You know, there's some great entrepreneurial stories and leadership stories and leadership failures in the, in the, the food industry in the United States. It, talk, keeping it in the business side, what do you think are some of the most important decisions that you make at Chick-fil-A as a leader in your organization? Well, we, we talk about a singular most important decision. I mean, we could probably you know come up with a list of eight or ten, but we think the most important decision a leader makes is who does what. Mm. And we got that idea from Peter Drucker, and we just sold out to it decades ago. And we put a disproportionate amount of time, energy, and effort in the selection process. So when you're you're talking about the interview, you're looking at you took you put a lot of time, energy, investment in uh, in the um, the uh, interviewee. And what are you looking for? 
Well, at the highest level, first you have to answer, I think there, there are two parts to that answer, because our organization um, has to really be looked at through two different lenses. One is the corporate staff, and we've got about a thousand people on our staff now. And then we have our restaurant operators who are the independent business people who, who operate the restaurants. Mm-hmm. And so there's certainly some overlap in what we're looking for, but the process is actually different. The skill set, the criteria, uh, it, it's different for someone to to be that uh, small business owner. You, you're looking for a different skill set often than you are for that architect or that engineer or that accountant that'll be in a corporate setting. But with that disclaimer, I would say at the highest level, we're looking for character, competence, and chemistry. Yeah. And, and really, um, it does begin with character that, um, a lot of people wonder about our success as an organization. Specifically, people will ask about our retention rate. We have 95 to 96% staff retention year over year for the last 30 years. And we've got similar retention among our restaurant operators, 95, 96, 97% retention year on year, the men and women who operate those restaurants. And um, I attribute the vast majority of that success to our selection process. Yeah. You know, I'm curious. I just, I interviewed Fred Smith from FedEx last week. And of course he's a former Marine. And so when I read their employee management guide and, and I'm saying this from personal experience when I go into a Chick-fil-A. Something seems different when I walk into the restaurant. Something's different with the employees. They seem to be a little more engaged, or at least from an outward appearance, that they have the um, authority or the, the, they have the decision to, or the authority, the delegated authority to make decisions. And it seems like um, that is I'm just guessing here because I don't know I haven't seen your manual is that part of your expectation of your staff that you encourage people to make decisions at the lowest level not exactly um I'll go back to the selection issue when you see an engaged workforce it is almost always linked to an engaged leader Mm mm-hmm And so what we have discovered over the years is when we get the right point leader, many of those day-to-day operating details take care of themselves. Right. And because these are independently operated, you know, we specify uh, operating and brand standards. We give them the recipes, you know, and things of that nature. But management and leadership practices are at the discretion of that independent restaurant operator. Yeah. And so uh, we spend a lot of time trying to get the right woman or man to run that restaurant. And then you have to be less concerned about some of those details. Now, the operator doesn't have to be, have to be less concerned, but we corporately have to be less concerned. Yeah, I guess that's that. You hit it on the head. I mean, that's what I saw or sensed to me because you saw the engagement, I guess, of even the um – I don't know if it was the owner at the store I was at, but it seemed like it was either the owner or at least the top manager that was there. Um, it just seemed the engagement level seemed different, and I don't know if it was because it was new, but it seemed um, that it had that type of kind of decentralized um, kind of flavor to it. Does that make sense? 
that that yes. Yeah. And I, again, I think you would see that in the vast majority of our restaurants, but not because we mandate it nor because we require it. Because you got the right but person. Because we have selected empowering yes. leaders. Yeah. We have selected engaged leaders, and we think um, you know what's in the restaurant is a reflection of that leader. I'm always curious too, especially with the corporate side, and you've got all these restaurants around the world. How do you how do you make sure that? Um, and I'm a little familiar with the franchise side, or at least you know getting the best ideas coming up, you know, to the top. How do you encourage that in an organization, especially as you get bigger? It seems like the the creativity gets stifled, or there's a there's a risk of that happening. How do you prevent that from happening at Chick Fil A? Well, it is it is a never ending challenge, as as you uh, pointed out, particularly as you grow. Uh, many of the systems that actually help you grow and the process and the control and the mechanisms that enable your growth will at some point stifle, as you said, your creativity, your inspiration, your innovation. And so as it relates to the corporate staff, we're, we're going to great lengths. We just built, I think it's about 80,000 square foot innovation center. Uh, and we're training our staff, trying to, to skill up and uh, strengthen our innovation muscles. Uh, Dan, Kathy, our president, he said, when your museum for the past is larger than your museum of the future, you're in trouble. Yeah. And until we built this innovation space, we had a larger museum to the past than we did for the future. And so we are we are constantly trying to streamline decision making. Uh, we're trying to normalize risk. We're trying to normalize appropriate failure. We're trying to recognize and reward people who try things. Uh, we're not trying to sweep things under the carpet that don't work. We're trying to learn from those things. We're trying to make heroes out of the, the men and women who are willing to take a chance and to push and to challenge. Uh, we've also built it into the heart of our leadership model. One of the practices that we say we expect from all of our leaders is that they reinvent continuously, mm. that that's part of their role as a leader. Yeah, uh, We believe that progress is always preceded by change, and we think leaders get that. Uh, it's actually a litmus test a little bit to decide – who your emerging leaders are, the folks that hate change, they may be great people, but they're probably not going to be great leaders. That's right. Because leaders are supposed to be making change. That's what we do. That's right. Uh, we're inventing a future that doesn't yet ex does not yet exist. And so um, we're doing many, many, many things to try and keep innovation, inspiration alive. It also helps us that Truett, our founder, who's still active in the business at 92, uh, he's he's opening a new restaurant concept right now, and he's working on the recipes personally. He really? and his wife, um, they're they're working on the new recipes. So we've got it modeled for us from senior leadership. This spirit of of learning and growth and innovation and inspiration. Uh, Dan Truett's oldest son is a is a visionary leader. He's an idea guy, and so uh, all of those things are in our favor as it relates to um, keeping inspiration alive, but we've got to stay vigilant as, as I think any organization does. Sure.
you know, I'm struck, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of chicken restaurant restaurants out there, you know, and what seems different to me, I'm curious to, to get your answer on this on what you think is the difference between you and the other major brands. Is it the product or is it what I've been hearing you say, this kind of commitment to this vision, innovation, core values? Do you think you have something unique over the other competitors? Well, you know, it's kind of hard to maybe fully appreciate that. Uh, you know, they say the fish is the last one to discover water. Right. And uh, I've been I've been swimming in this same tank for 35 years. But um, I think our competitive advantage is really in our restaurant operator. Mm. Um, you know, many of our products are handcrafted and hand prepared in the restaurant. And people say, well, how do you do that? Well, if you get a higher caliber leader in the restaurant, then he or she is capable of attracting higher caliber talent, which enables you to execute at a higher level and to create those handcrafted products and to fresh squeeze your lemonade and to chop the cabbage for coleslaw or whatever it may be. Um, so I think, I think the core of our competitive advantage is is the point leader in each restaurant. I agree with you. And I think, you know, from an outsider looking in, I think that that is the advantage that you have um, when it comes to perception of the of brands. Um, I think the, the quality of the food is a given in all of the, the major brands. I think all of them, I could go to either one, and I like all of them. Um, I like yours. I like, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I like Church's. I like Popeye's. They all taste pretty good to me, but to me, it seems like what you hit on the head is the difference is the leadership is this kind of this commitment to leadership anyway. It seems authentic and real, and I'm not just saying that because you're my guest. I'm saying that because as a genuine consumer who studies leadership, that's what to me seems different with Chick-fil-A to me. Well, we, we, think, it, we think it creates a foundation for future competitive advantage because, yes. as you said, the food in our competitors is getting better and better, and we do the same kind of research that, that our competitors do, and we know whose food's getting better and whose food's not, and generally, in our industry, the food is getting better. Yeah. Now, 25 years ago, I think we had a competitive advantage in food. Yeah. I don't think we have that anymore. We have been for several years trying to create competitive advantage in service. We think that is, in fact, the next frontier, but we've got the leadership foundation. We've got the talent base to say, hey, maybe this is the next competitive advantage. And we're already working on what's the next competitive advantage because uh, mentioning our competitors about six or eight weeks ago, McDonald's made a statement on the front page of the Wall Street Journal that their next strategic initiative is around service well you know that they probably need to do that yeah. and they'll get better at it and mm -hmm. that will reduce the competitive advantage that we've enjoyed in service so we got to stay ahead of the game and we're working on what's next and what's next after that i think that's the very nature of competitive advantage i think it's uh, it's fleeting yeah. and that uh, wise competitors are always paying attention uh, we had mcdonald's people in our restaurants when we were doing our initial pilot to ramp up service McDonald's corporate people visited all of our restaurants where we were piloting that. Really? Yeah, that's just what competitive advantage is about. You're always you're always trying to figure out what's next. But because we've got that in-restaurant leadership, we're uniquely positioned to seize whatever the next opportunity for competitive advantage is. You know, I'm always curious about especially with with especially with restaurants and I've done some, you know, 
personal uh, studies on this myself and looking at a brand. And um, I used to be part of a, a franchise brand for a hotel. I was the brand communicator. And it was always amazing to me that, you know, like, just like take McDonald's, for example, you always knew, even though the quality of the food, say uh, a Wendy's, for example, you knew the quality was better than McDonald's. But it's amazing how many more people would gravitate towards McDonald's, even though they knew Wendy's might taste better. And the reason that, that I found or what when I was reading this article and, and studying this is because people knew what they were going to get at McDonald's. If you went to McDonald's in Shanghai versus or one in Little Rock, Arkansas, you knew that the hamburger or the fries are pretty much going to taste the same. And people couldn't necessarily say that about Wendy's. What is unique about Chick-fil-A's brand? You know, why, why do you think, uh, what is its unique identifier in the brand? Well, I think as, as we just discussed, I think that changes over time. I think for many, many years, uh, the food was our competitive advantage. And again, I don't think you can ever walk away from something like that. I think it becomes foundational. Sure. I think it becomes the uh, expectation. I think we believe that a brand is fundamentally a promise. And part of our promise is that the food is going to be hot and fresh or cold if appropriate. Um I think the next level for us has been to provide an enhanced service experience. And that is a journey we've been on for several years. Um, you know, in the mind of the consumer, I think you referenced it earlier, you kind of feel the difference yeah. when you're in one of our restaurants. Um, a little hard to articulate, but we hear that from a lot of our guests. And so we're trying to figure out how to, keep that spirit alive, how to uh, increasingly surprise and delight our guests. And uh, we think all of that's possible because of the men and women, women who run the restaurant. Absolutely. I think it always goes back to the heart. The core of it is, is leadership for sure. Let's talk about the heart of leadership, the new book that's coming out. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm excited to. Tell me about the genesis of it and what is the point behind the book? Well, the, the genesis, we started about 12 or 14 years ago when um, we were working on a project to accelerate leadership development here corporately. I mentioned that in the early days, it was about immersion and osmosis. Right. We decided we needed more leaders faster. And I don't know if any of your listeners have ever found themselves in that situation, but <laughs> For us, it showed up because we had real legitimate leadership opportunities, and we looked at the leadership bench, and we didn't have people ready. Right. And we said, maybe this immersion and osmosis plan has run its course. And we said, how do you accelerate leadership development? Well, out of that work, we reached the conclusion that the first step is to actually articulate and define what you mean by leadership. It'd be a whole lot easier to accelerate the development of something that you could agree upon and define and talk about. And back in the day, we said we think leadership fundamentally has two parts. We actually describe it like an iceberg. If you think about an iceberg, about 10% is above the waterline and about 90% is below. Well, the 10% above represents the skills of a leader. And that's what Ken Blanchard and I wrote our first book about. I guess it's been how long? Ten years ago now. Right. Uh, we wrote The Secret, and it's what great leaders know and do. And it was about the behavioral, um, the, the behavioral practices that the best leaders engage in on a consistent basis. 
And so this new book, The Heart of Leadership, is a question that I've been getting for almost a decade. It's like, great, we understand the hands, we understand the skills, but what are you talking about when you reference leadership character? You say it's 90% of, of the equation, but can you help us? Can you give us more definition? What does that look like? What does What do you look for in emerging leaders who possess these leadership character traits? And so this is a book that really, in in some ways, we started 10 or 12 years ago when we said we know that when we talk about the skills of leadership, that's critical, but that's not the whole story. This book tells the rest of the story about what separates uh, the best leaders from all the rest. Wow, it sounds very intriguing. So what are some of those things that separates people? Well, it actually is a matter of the heart. Um, it, it really is embodied in a question that Ken and I ask in that first book. Are you a serving leader or a self-serving leader? Mm-hmm. And uh, in the book, we outline several leadership character traits. One of them is the ability to think others first. Yep. The best leaders are serving leaders. They're not self-serving leaders. Right. Because people always know the difference. And if we're talking about trying to energize people and engage people and mobilize people, the heart of the leader is one of the key and determining factors to the level of engagement that people are willing to invest. It's like, is this man or woman really trying to look out for themselves or are they really trying to help me win? Are they really trying to help the organization win? So to think others first is one of those leadership character traits. Another one is to expect the best. Uh, Leaders have a tendency to be far more optimistic than non-leaders. Right. It's just part of their wiring. It's part of their DNA. And it makes sense if you think about what leaders really do is we're the architects of a future that doesn't yet exist. Mm -hmm. And so if we had a pessimistic outlook, well, what is it we'd be trying to create? And would we even have the confidence and the energy to pursue something if we didn't think it was going to be a better tomorrow than it is today? Which is why you see very few pessimists who excel in leadership. That's right. Because hope, it's not a strategy, but it's a very critical element of what makes a leader get up in the morning. It's not only a hope, but it's a belief and it's a confidence that we can create a better future. Yeah, I love that. I love uh, how I've said that, you know, sometimes as simple as as subtle as the language, of the kind of the leadership language, um, when the leader, when I see leaders, um, when they're saying things like, wouldn't it be great if I've, wouldn't it be great if or I envision us doing this? I see a future where we're going to be doing this. Wouldn't that be great? You know, just simple things like that, painting the picture for people, sometimes can be the subtle but very powerful difference um, of, of kind of changing the direction. And I couldn't agree with yeah, you more about so many things that we would not do as leaders if we didn't expect the best. We expect the best of ourselves. We expect the best of our people. We expect the best of our organization. We expect the best of our um, our programs. I mean, we we have we tend to have an optimistic outlook on the future. That's one of those leadership character traits that um, I think is something we can cultivate. And to the extent we do, we'll be a better leader for it. 
Yeah, and I love that. And, I, and this the idea of kind of crushing mediocrity. I think we've just kind of, as a culture, we seem to have accepted uh, mediocrity. And I think it's a leader's obligation to um, stretch themselves consistently, never reaching a plateau. They're always it's a, it's a continuous uphill growth cycle. And expecting the best is I can't agree with you more because that's gonna kind of break through the mediocrity, which I think is just kind of inundating us all over the society. So I love that too. And the, and the fair of the heart thing, going back to your original thing, I can't agree with you more. People who listen to this podcast, it's all of it seems to always go back to the heart of leadership is about heart and caring for other people. And if you don't care about other people, then you shouldn't be in the leadership game. And I know that there, we all get frustrated with folks. I know I put on my feel like putting on a I hate people t-shirt some days, but uh, you got to have a genuine interest and love for people if you want to consider yourself a leader. I agree completely. So what do you think are some some good advice for maybe young aspiring leaders out there, or maybe even seasoned leaders? If you're in a place and you don't know what to do, what's your best advice, leadership advice for a young aspiring or leaders who are even stuck for that matter? Well, I think I think the the primary advice, I think my hesitation is I think you asked two questions. I'm going to try to answer yeah. them independently. For emerging leaders, I think you got to make a conscious, strategic decision to grow. Yeah, I think I think that is huge, uh, and it can take many, many forms. And there are countless strategies and infinite tactics. But I think it begins with a decision. It's a little bit like on the airplane when they say put your own oxygen mask on first. Correct. Because if you don't, you're of little value to those around you. I tell emerging leaders, you got to make a decision. The earlier in your career, the better that you are going to commit to lifelong learning, that you are going to make personal growth a priority, independent of what your organization does. Yep. There's some leaders that get caught. This is a little bit to your thing about getting stuck. Uh, you know, their organization may not support them with time or resources for development. And I kind of say, so, I mean, so, so what are you going to do about that? I mean, you have got to provide time and energy and resources, even if it's out of your own pocket, because if you don't, you will get stuck. Yep. The organization will pass you by if you're not growing. So I think growth is my advice to all leaders, but specifically to young leaders and emerging leaders is you got to be intentional. Yeah. I love that. You got to have a plan. You got to make it a priority. You got to deal with the pain. You know, growth is, is by definition involves struggle. If, if not uh, physical struggle, even an intellectual struggle, you know, you gotta, you gotta prioritize it on your calendar. You gotta guard the pace of your life so that you'll have time to grow. So that's, that's kind of my, I'm Johnny one note to young leaders about are you growing? Yeah, and have I think you made a strategic decision to grow. Yeah, the intentionality piece is so key, and I and I even think back to my own leadership growth. It wasn't intentional for a long time. It was almost just like almost an expectation or an autopilot, or it wasn't I didn't know what to do next. It wasn't the intentionality, like you said. And and you ask a lot of people, what is your intentional plan? Where do you want to be in five years? Well, I haven't really thought about it. Most mm-hmm. people say that. Most, mm-hmm. most people that I coach, they say, well, you know, I haven't thought about where I want to be in five years at, at length. You know, when's the last time you spent 30 minutes just right. thinking about where you're going to be 
you know, in five years or one year or the next day, just 30 minutes. And most people don't. We just kind of walk around on autopilot. Yeah. So let me answer the second half of that. I know we're about out of time here, but the second half of that is for people who are stuck. Obviously people can get stuck for a lot of reasons. I seem to encounter many, many leaders who are stuck because I believe there are at least three phases in the development of a leader. The first, most leaders start out as doers, and maybe, in fact, they were recognized as an outstanding doer of something, and so they're given a position or an opportunity to lead, and the truth is many of them continue in their doer habits, and then they realize that that's a dead-end street, and they have personal capacity limits, and so at some point, hopefully early in the career, many leaders discover delegation. And it's like a whole new world has opened up because now they realize they can actually get other people to do things on their behalf and they actually begin to multiply and it's, it's kind of a great day. But a lot of leaders whose career gets stuck, it's because they're stuck as a delegator. The problem with the delegator as a primary uh, leadership approach is it's contingent on you doing the delegating. Right. And so you're, you're in many ways, you're a victim to your role. You know, is when leaders shift from becoming delegators to becoming developers. Yes. And they start helping other people grow. And that's when many, 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 many leaders' career will go to another level. That's right. Oh, I love that. You couldn't say that any better. I mean, I know I combined the two questions because I, I get a lot of questions from people that are young leaders. They're emerging and they're stuck. They're in a, a bureaucratic mess. They don't know what to do next. And everything you said was just so spot on. I loved what you said there. And then the, the last key point, what I want people to really understand is you're right. And I think it's it's normal in a leadership development. But once you start focusing your attention on developing other leaders, that's when the magic really starts to take off. And uh, so I love what you said there. Hi, right, Mark. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where's a quick plug where people can find you and in, in the new book that's coming out? Well, uh, my site is greatleadersserve.org, O-R-G. And I'm uh, about two years into this journey, and I'm, I'm doing three posts a week on greatleadersserve.org. On Fridays, I answer a question submitted from a leader somewhere in the world. So if Folks have questions, things they'd like me to take a shot at. I'll be happy to to, uh, to give it give it a try. Then I'm on Twitter at leaders serve. That's plural. Leaders serve. Love to meet folks in the Twitter sphere. And uh, the new book, The Heart of Leadership, it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. It'll be in the bookstores probably in about three weeks. And all the profits uh, from that book and all of my books uh, go to charity. So I like to mention that whenever I can. Awesome. Mark, what a thrill to have you on the show. It's been so much fun meeting you. I look forward to uh, working with you sometime in the future and uh, talking to you again. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Richard. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. 
He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.